Oh God, our strength, we put all of our hope in you. Lord, teach us to wait on you. Our lives are frenetic. We are forever rushing here and there to and fro. But Lord, today we would wait upon you, confident in your promise that you who have never once failed to keep any of your promises to us will be faithful, God, so that we will, as we wait on you and hope in you, rise up with wings like eagles, that we will run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. No wonder we rejoice in the Lord because you have been faithful to us and you who have promised will accomplish your great purpose in us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, choir. Wow. What a beautiful song, beautifully set, beautifully sung this morning. And I get the chance tonight in our chapel series to teach um, from Isaiah. You say, well, what part of Isaiah? Isaiah. I get to teach Isaiah tonight. And uh, that's not nearly as long as it sounds, by the way. But... uh, I'm excited to get to share that with you. And that Isaiah 40 is such, such the center of um, the teaching that the prophet Isaiah gave to us. So what is our goal? Why are we here? And what do we do after we become followers of Jesus Christ? It's a good question. And I think about Lee Eklov's description of the experience that Malcolm Muggeridge had back in 1969 Muggridge was hired by the British Broadcasting Company to do a documentary about an obscure nun who was caring for people in Calcutta. He went there and tried to convince this little lady named Teresa that they should do a documentary, and she was difficult to persuade. Finally, only the pressure of the church prevailed upon her to grant it, and she looked at Malcolm Muggridge and said, okay then, let's do something beautiful for God. That became the theme of the documentary. And by the way, Malcolm Muggeridge became a follower of Christ because of the love that he saw in her ministry to other people. Let's do something beautiful for God. And then in Babette's Feast, Isaac Denison's little book about the gourmet chef who finds herself exiled in the remote areas of Denmark caring for people who only want bland food. But then she wins the lottery and instead of using it to go home to France, she decides instead to take that opportunity to uh, make a gourmet meal for the whole city in which she lives. And Denison has this unforgettable line, from the ends of the earth... One long cry grows up from the heart of every artist. Give me a chance to do my best. Let's do something beautiful for God. Give me a chance to do my very best. These these statements empower us to see God's great goal for our lives. Paul tells the church at Ephesus and the church at Tallawood that our great God gives us great grace so that we can do great ministry and grow to full maturity. God wants us to grow up into Jesus. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verses 7 through 
16. We saw last week something about our unity today, growing in ministry and maturity. We have come to that very practical section of the book of Ephesians. Our students, our Tallowood players, reminded us so well of the first part of Ephesians, the first three chapters. Remember that ends with, our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. This God who gives great grace has a great goal for his church. Would you stand with me as we read God's word, Ephesians 4, verse 7, Paul, who never got over God's grace writes these words, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part, as each part, as each part does its work. Thank you. You may be seated. Our unity stems from the character of God himself, three in one, unity out of our diversity. We talked about seven reasons why you and I should be united last week. And then Paul moves on and shows us that out of our diversity, God will not only bring unity, but God will grow us to maturity so that all of us will be ministers. This is the grace of God given to each one of us, apportioned by Christ so that we can minister to each other, so that we can each do our part of the work, so that together we can accomplish God's great purpose in this world, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed to every person. And each of us has a part in that ministry Each of us must grow up in Christ to maturity. And what would we be like if we grew up? He says, we would be like Christ. We would be like the one who ascended higher than the heavens to fill everything in every way. Can we believe that the one who fills everything in every way wants to fill every one of us until our lives overflow with His grace, growing up for His glory alone? So what is your dream for your life? And what is our dream 
for this church. Believe me when I say your dream for your life is not bigger than God's dream for your life. And our dream corporately, collectively for this church is not bigger than God's dream for this church. But let me be careful to distinguish God's dream from our dream because we might get caught up in the cultural dream around us, which is to get more and to do more. But God wants us to be more and become more than we have been. We could get more like everybody around us, and that would not necessarily fulfill God's purpose for our lives. We could do more than other people get to do, or by God's grace, we could become more even than we could ask, even than we could imagine. God gives grace so that we may minister to each other. Do you see it there? We might get caught up and say, I really want to know what my gift is. There in verses 7 through 11, though, he reminds us that before we know our gift, we ought to get to know the giver. James 1 verse 17 says, God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Peter says, his divine power has given us everything we need. For life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God loves to give to his children. What did Jesus teach? He said, if we parents ever get it right in giving to our children what they want, how much more does our heavenly father give generously and who is he who gives he says it is he who descended to the earthly regions when our world was at its worst God was at its best and Jesus said I'm going in I'm going into the world I'm going to become part of the world and we we beheld his glory as he pitched his tent among us as he chose to live among us the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory we saw his goodness and his glory and his grace and this one after he descended also ascended and the picture is really from Psalm 68 the victorious warrior who wins the battle and takes captivity captive and then he distributes disseminates the gifts and so as Jesus ascended to fill the heavens he sent the Holy Spirit we talk about spiritual gifts we might call them here Christian gifts it's the same God is the giver of every good and perfect gift I went home on Friday evening left the church and went home and I said to Melanie, where are we eating tonight? She said, let's go to Chewy's. She knows I love Chewy's. I said, okay, why are we going to Chewy's? And she said, because it's across the street from Party City. I was like, really? Okay, I'm ready to go to McDonald's then. I mean, I'll go anywhere not to go to Party City because I went there at Halloween to shop for Halloween costumes with Casey and I would prefer, I made myself a promise that I wasn't going back and now, now we're, you know, if I eat at Chewy's, I got to go to Party City. I tried to pull the old, have you ever tried this, guys, you know, where you turn off the car and then when they get out of the car, you start it back up again and stay in and listen to the radio? I tried that. Melanie took the keys and said, come on. And so we all went into Party City and there we were. It was anything but a party for me me but we were doing it because it turns out we found out this is kind of unbelievable that that Casey has never had a birthday party where she invited friends over 
I want you to think about that. At 11 years of age, so this is a big birthday. And so not only did we spend a long time, a lot longer than I wanted to at Party City, but yesterday, Melanie graciously left me home and they went and they shopped for all, it's a 50s party, turns out. What do we know about 50s? But anyway, it's a 50s party and um, so poodle skirts and all of that and uh, hula hoops and all that. And so they went and shopped and they came home carrying all these gifts. And I looked at that and I thought, Sometimes giving to your kids is just the right thing to do. And for us, this is one of those times. It is the right thing. Melanie said, don't plan anything for Friday evening. You are chauffeuring a group of girls to the roller rink, and you are going to roller skate with them. And I said, oh, good. I don't know. I said, well, let me check my calendar and see what I'm going to do Friday night. She said, we already know what you're going to do on Friday night. You don't even have to look. You can just cancel it. That's what we're going to do. And This is our God. He says, it was he, verse 11, who gave. It was he who gave. Some to be what? Apostles. Some to be prophets. Some to be evangelists. Some to be pastor teachers. The words he uses describe to us the equipping gifts that God gives. God gives these gifts to the spiritual leaders of the church so that we may equip everybody to do the work of ministry. And So he talks about apostles. I think probably in the technical sense here, the the 12 who saw Jesus face to face. There were many other apostles, of course, the apostle Paul, and then we know um, Junius, who was outstanding among the apostles. There were lots of people who were not apostles, maybe in the technical sense, but understand that today, apostle is one who is sent. The very uh, word, Greek word, apostello, the, the Latin word, mito, missions, to send. Missionaries sort of fulfill this role today. Prophets, and there were prophets in the Old Testament. We'll study Isaiah tonight. There are prophets in the New Testament. We read about Agabus. We, we read about those who were prophetesses. Um, uh, Philip's uh, four daughters had that gift. And there's, there's a gift of, of hearing God and speaking for God. I would just distinguish. If we say there are prophets today, I would just say about this, not exactly like there were prophets in the Old Testament because nobody's writing down what we say and calling it the Bible today. But God gives apostles and prophets and evangelists Those who are speakers of the good news. Those who report the good news. Who tell the good news everywhere they go. I know when I was in seminary, the big thing with evangelists was televangelism. And all the guys who spoke in stadiums and spoke on TV. And inevitably, they had very big hair. That's why I could never have been an evangelist as I perceived it. And they were were these guys in stadiums. But listen, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those who speak the good news of Jesus Christ. So... um, Missy McReynolds uh, lost her father this week. He went to be with the Lord, and they were here at MD Anderson Hospital. And, and I just texted her after he passed away, and I said, is there anything we can do? And, and she said, well, my mom had been sharing um, these packets um, with people, these sort of tracts that have scriptures in them with the people at MD Anderson. We want to continue that ministry after we're gone. And we met this chaplain who is a part of Tallowood, and so we need to entrust this ministry to her, and she's agreed, but we don't have her phone number, and so we tracked it down. Larry tells me it's Christiana Liam, and uh, Christiana is going to continue that ministry there in the medical center. That's the work of an evangelist. I was down in McAllen for the Texas Baptist Convention this week, and, and I was sitting there one morning eating my breakfast, and I had my Bible open, which is my custom at breakfast there in the hotel restaurant, and the lady who was waiting on me said, is that a Bible? And I said, yes. And she said, is it doing you any good? Which I thought was a great question. <laughs> and I said, it really is. And I remember what Jack McGorman said, that the Bible has always been for me a meeting place with God. And her eyes got really big, and she said, 
really? Tell me about that. And it gave me a chance just to speak the good news. We are evangelists. Yesterday evening on my way to to Saturday night church, I stopped in at the, the Randalls there and I heard a family behind me speaking and they were speaking in German and that gave me a chance to to speak in German to them and just engage them and they just moved here from Hamburg and uh, we were talking and they were talking about the adjustment of their two daughters who go to the village school and I was trying to think of the larger body of Christ and uh, Kelly brought us who's at the village school and just how we might minister to this family and then while we were in line I said hey wait a minute let me tell you something on Christmas Eve we have this guy in our church who sings Silent Night in German and so you ought to come and see that and he goes Stille Nacht and I said Stille Nacht and I said our music minister's been to Germany he served over there for eight years as well and so um, he and I get to speak in German and the staff does doesn't understand what we're saying. It's really cool. You, you need to come to Tallowood. And he was like, really? And it was just a chance. So I'm just saying to you, everywhere you go, one of my students who was preaching at HBU this week was telling about, about her family who went over to Vietnam. They're from Vietnam and they went over to Vietnam. And it's, you can't just talk about Jesus openly in Vietnam. But, but she talked about how her mom and her sister went over there to share Christ with their family and with their neighbors. Over there. I'm just saying we're all evangelists. He gave some to be pastor teachers. Not two different gifts here, but the way, the way we look at it in Greek, there's only one definite article, so it's one gift. It, it's, it's pastor teachers, and every pastor must be a teacher. Not every Christian teacher is a pastor. I have colleagues, friends over at HBU who are teachers who may not be pastors of local churches, but they're pastor teachers. And the purpose of this, by the way, is not so that we can build followings or we can become famous or we can um, you know, build huge churches, but the purpose of the pastor teacher, he says, is to equip the believers, the saints, the holy ones, the body of Christ God's people, the NIV says, to do the work of ministry. There are various theories on this. There's clericalism, which says the pastors should do all the work. And then there's sort of anti-clericalism, which says, no, the people should do the work, and we don't even need pastors. But there is, John Stott says, dualism, where symbiotically, synergistically, the pastors equip the members, and the members do the work of ministry. So everybody has a part in God's great work in the kingdom, and you've got to find your part. And as you get, as you get to know the giver, then you begin to know your gift. There are lists of them in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter, there are three, there, there are lists of spiritual gifts, but none of them is comprehensive, none of them is exhaustive, but you have a gift as a follower of Jesus Christ. And we need you to use that gift within the body of Christ because that's the way the work of ministry, diaconia, gets done. Now we have people who have the title of deacon, but the Bible uses the the term servant, service, not just of a select group, but of all members of the body of Christ. So we all get to serve. We all get to minister. We all get to do the work of ministry. I remember years ago, I, I parked at a hospital there and the ministerial parking was all full. That always makes me skeptical. I'm thinking, there aren't that many ministers here right now. And it turns out I parked far away and as I was walking up, I came by the ministerial parking and one of my church members was getting into uh, her car and it was there in ministerial parking. And she looked at me and immediately she said, I know, I know, I know, but I was in a hurry and I was going, I said, no, 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 you can have my parking place anytime. Just be sure that you're ministering. 
Because all of us are ministers, and you're welcome to my parking place, or to the minister that's not mine, but the minister's parking place, because we're all ministers. One, one church where they listed their pastors, at the bottom of the list put ministers, and then put every member of the church. We are all ministers, and our work is to equip you. And God gives gifts so that we can minister, and then He grows us in grace until we become mature. Notice at the end of verse 12 there, he uses these terms of growing so that we, we are built up. And then he says we reach unity and we become mature. That's perfect or complete, what God intended for us to be. The whole measure. Look, the one who fills everything in every way wants to fill us so that we grow up. In verse 16, we grow and we build ourselves up in love as each part does its work. How do we grow? Well, first he says we grow in unity, so we become united. Remember, we talked about that last week, and he continues that thought in verse 13 and says, we become unified in the faith, that is, in what we believe. We're not all alike. We don't have, uh, um, we're diverse in many ways, but we're united in this. We all believe that Jesus Christ is the only answer for our world, and that gives us unity together. And in the knowledge of the Son of God, remember I said to you the prayer that we ought to be praying for our families is, that we might know him better. He says when we become mature, how do we know we've grown up? We're getting to know Jesus Christ better and better and better. As um, um, Dawson Trotman, who founded The Navigator, said, my purpose in life is to know him and to make him known. My purpose in life is to know him and to make him known. So the more we grow up spiritually, the more we know Jesus Christ and our knowledge of the Son of God matures us and completes us so that we're not susceptible. Knowing Him well, we're no longer susceptible to the deceptions of this world, the cunning and craftiness of people who are trying to sort of deceive us. But rather, we know Him so well. We know the truth so well that we're not fooled by counterfeit. There are a lot of things we don't know. I was reading this week about John Ward, who was a federal judge up in Arkansas, and he was um, he was there with the um, he was he was um, talking about the census there. And one of the census takers some years ago went out into the Ozark Mountains. I don't even know if he was on the Missouri side or the Arkansas side, but either way, he went down this remote dirt road, and he comes to this house, and it's like a log cabin. He knocks on the door, and the lady who comes to the door seriously looks like she hasn't seen another human being in 20 years. And he looks at her and says, ma'am, I'm here to take the census. And she said, you're here to take what? And he said, the census. And she looked at him in a bewildered way and he said, look, I'm just going to tell you something. Um, the, the federal government every 10 years tries to figure out and they send us out so we can find out how many people there are in the United States. And she said, son, you have just wasted your time because I don't have the slightest idea how many people there are in the United States. <laughs> he said, well, that's not why I'm here. I'm just trying to count you so I can count all the people. And all that to say, there are a lot of things we don't know, but we need to know Christ Because if we know Christ, we're growing in the knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature and we grow up into the fullness of Christ. And then, and then he says, we'll no longer be infants tossed here and there. Every time somebody gets a new teaching, we say, oh, that's it. And we follow that. No, no, because we know Jesus Christ 
And we begin, he says, to speak the truth in love. See, there's some people who speak the truth, but they're not very loving. In our house, we say they're missing the tact gene. They don't have that tact gene. Like last night when my daughter was cheering for the A&M team and they were beating us. That's just, there's just something about that. I mean, it was the truth, but it wasn't very loving. And then, and then sometimes we speak in love, but it's not very truthful because we're afraid we're going to offend somebody. But in the middle of that, there is speaking the truth in love. And I wondered if our relationships within our Bible study classes at Tallowood and in our, in our Sunday school classes and our small groups, if we're coming to the place where we can love each other so much that we can actually tell each other the truth in a way that helps instead of hurts. That's what God wants for us. John Ortberg tells about talking to his best friend and said, we're not going to have secrets anymore. We're not going to live in secrets anymore. So I'm going to tell you my story, he said, about my struggles with this sin and that sin and how I struggle with money, he said, and how my anger sometimes hurts my wife. And he just bared his soul and he, thought, he said he thought for all the world his friend was going to stand up right then and walk away and leave him. But he said his friend looked at him and said, John, I've never loved you more than I do right now. Let me tell you my story. And in the sharing of that authentic kind of relationship, they both grew closer to Christ and closer to each other because... They weren't pretending. And here's what I don't want Tallawood to be. A place where you have to pretend to be something that you're not. Remember Ken Miedema's song years ago? He said, if this is not a place where my heart cry can be understood, where can I go to be heard? If I can't share my soul with you, then where am I going to share my soul? If I can't be honest with you. I know Billy Joel saying years ago, honesty is such a lonely word. And everyone is so untrue. But not in the church. And the church, this is not a place where you and I pretend to be something that we're not. This is the place where we can be authentic with each other. We can speak the truth to each other in love. And when that happens, then we're going to grow up. Then we're going to be mature. Then we're going to be who God intended for us to be. It won't be that we get more. It won't even be that we do more. It will be that we have become more than we ever were before. I read this week about the, the, the cellist, Pablo Casals, who at 93 was giving a concert in a city. He was staying in a hotel, and he was keeping the other people on the floor up by practicing late into the night. And, and uh, somebody confronted him with that and said, Maestro, look, you're 93 years old. Why are you practicing so many hours a day? And he smiled and said, because I think I'm getting better. <laughs> I'm getting better at this. Our goal as Christians is that until the day that Jesus returns or he calls us home, that every day we, by God's grace, for God's glory, are getting better at what we do so that we can do something beautiful for God so that from the ends of the earth, the loud cry from the heart of every Christian is, let me have the chance to do my very best for God today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing presence in this place, for your power to save, for your gracious gifts in our lives, Lord, every good and perfect gift. I thank you for the gift of Tallowood to me, for the life-giving church that meets in these buildings, for the people who love and love and love some more. And I pray, Lord, that we would not stop here, that we would go on to maturity that we would grow up into Jesus so that people who see us would see you in us and want you in their lives as well. This is 
our heartfelt prayer. This is our fervent desire that greater things would still come, that greater things are yet to be done in this city. And God, I pray that Tallywood would be all up in the middle of what you're doing in this city. And we ask it in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen.